Welcome back to Calling All Beings, baby, on a Friday night. I'm your host, DJ. I know you've been all kinds of UFO'd out, but guess what? Tonight, we're going to throw a little bit of a, you know, we're going to throw a, a pitch, a curve pitch at you, because guess what? This show is not only about UAP, it's also about Bigfoot, Paranormal, and Cryptids. And so with that, you know, we brought in a couple special people that I saw a few months ago, and I said, I want to hear what these people got to say. So before we get into that, so let's let's let you know what's going on with the rundown of everything that's happening. So Nathan is uh, troubleshooting uh, sound issues. He can hear us. We cannot hear him. Debs is on the family Zoom. Leah is in love out in Idaho. And by God, Frank is over in the United Kingdom. So myself and my man, the Bigfoot OG, Matt Knapp is in the house. What's up, Matt? What's up, man? How you doing? Dude, I'm doing great, and I want to know. I, I want you to know. I listened to your episode today. It was the guy from Iowa. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. That was an excellent conversation, man. Dude, <laughs> talking about just out of left field. I so that was like a last minute deal. He had just emailed me like maybe the day before that, and uh, you know scheduling conflicts happened, and I just emailed him, and I was like, hey, I know this is last minute, and we haven't really talked or anything, but are you free to record? And, uh, he said, yes. You know, so like whenever I got on the phone with him, that was really the first time I'm talking to him. He had given me a brief description in the email about, you know, his Bigfoot stuff. But then I asked him, you know, like, have you experienced anything else? You know, have you seen any ghosts or UFOs or anything? And he said, I've had five UFO sightings actually, uh, <laughs> as they're now known as UAPs, but, uh, I thought those were really interesting. Uh, some of the details that he included and stuff. Uh, it was a very interesting conversation. I thought it really went really well. This is what stuck out to me about that, Matt, is when we, people listen to a Bigfoot show, they're looking for that narrative that's going to make you, oh, my God, that's going to make you feel fear and terror and be able to place yourself in that position. And anything that falls short of that, maybe it's not so good. Well, what it turns out is that with... This gentleman, um, his situation, you know, he didn't have a visual sighting. There were audios, right. audible sightings or audible uh, experiences. But he, it was so credible. It was so succinct. His thought process around everything that he experienced was really interesting. And so I recommend everybody check out Bigfoot Crossroads for that reason. But before we get too deep into that, we got to bring in our special guest, who are the OGs from the LBL, right, Matt? They're in there checking out all kinds of cryptos that we're going to hear about tonight. So party people, put those hands together for Joe and Jesse from Hellbent Holla! Hello. Hello. Can I get an amen for Joe and Jesse? <laughs> You're like, what did we sign up for with these idiots? I'm like, I, you know... This it's Friday. Anything goes. We want to welcome you. It It, it is a little bit of a, a we sort of market ourselves as, as a, a positive, welcoming mm -hmm. environment, uh, safe environment to come talk about your experiences. Uh, we like to have fun with it, but we also take it quite seriously. And it sort of looks like an electrical sine wave alternating current. Sometimes it'll we'll say something funny and we'll get serious. And sometimes people tear up on the show and. And we just want to uh, welcome everybody. And it's just open-minded thought and discussion about uh, all of these phenomena. So welcome, Joe and Jesse. It's an honor to have you guys. 
It's good thanks. to be here. Hey, yeah. thanks for having us. Um, so what I'd like to start with is to to find out um, what is it. And so this show, one thing that's a little bit different about this show than Bigfoot shows is it's a little bit more conversational in nature. So we'll you'll you'll be telling a narrative. We may want to ask a question. Sometimes on Bigfoot shows, someone will go like forty five minutes with you know yeah. on one narrative. We tend not to do. We'll tend to want to interject because we're just very curious. So uh, with that, tell us um, how you two got together uh, and and uh, decided, hey, we want to investigate cryptids. Oh, well, that's a that's a long one. Um, Is we'll, it? We'll, okay. I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. Okay. Um, okay. So I, I was more involved in paranormal research. I was more into ghosts. That was that was more my forte. Uh, Joe was more into the physical cryptid side of things. And he and I met when we were both living in New Orleans and really, really hit it off. Uh, He lived there for, you lived there for what, 15 years? I lived there for 10 years. And um, we met, we really hit it off and we started dating. And then we ended up moving back to the Southern Appalachian region. Joe's originally from Virginia and I'm originally from Western North Carolina. So we moved wow. back up to the Carolina, to the Carolinas and we started hiking. Um, we started hiking a lot because we lived in the city for so long. It was nice to kind of get back into the woods and really um, reorientate with the woods. Mm-hmm. So we started hiking a lot and we were having weird stuff happen out in the woods. But we decided kind of on a whim to go legend tripping. We heard a podcast episode about a shape-shifting witch at this uh, trail nearby where we live. So we were like, oh, let's go check this out. So we went out there and we just had a crazy bunch of experiences while we were out there. And it was kind of startling and frightening. Um, But we decided, you know, it was either stay out of the woods forever or let's get some cameras and start filming this and really dive into this. So we got some cheap cameras, we got some cheap equipment and started filming our adventures and going out and actually going into the woods, hiking deep into the woods and investigating these things. And that was several years ago that we started this. And since then, it's kind of snowballed and We've gotten better equipment, more equipment, and we really try to think outside of the box with everything we do. We don't take a a traditional approach to investigating cryptids or the paranormal. We take a very tech-heavy approach, and we we try different kinds of experiments that a lot of people haven't done. Um, and we, we try to just do things a little differently and do things our own way and really skate the edge when it comes okay. to this kind of work. So we've been doing that for a few years now. Our YouTube channel has just surpassed 10,000 subscribers. It's under the moniker of Hell Bent Holler. Um, I do all of the editing. I do the graphic design. I do all the stuff with the video portion of stuff. Uh, Joe is my security and my equipment tech. And he also reins me in when we're in the woods because I have a bad habit of running off and running towards <laughs> danger. Um, <laughs> But uh, uh, wait, he's there. Let me. (laughs) It seems like we've kind of hit a good stride right now. Um, And our videos are basically like mini documentaries. Um, They have time frames of about 20 minutes to I have some that are an hour and a half. We really hit our stride with the LBL series, which I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit. But that's uh, pretty much it in a nutshell um, for where we started and where we are now. 
Mm, I, I, I love the, uh, the idea behind it of doing your own thing and not having to follow convention, finding your own way. And um, I'll pass it over to Matt. Matt has certainly uh, heard, heard he, he probably won't say he's heard it all over the 20 years doing this, but he's heard a lot. So, Matt, uh, what, go ahead, my brother. Yeah, man, you can't hear it all. <laughs> right, you can't. Because it changes every day. Some, yes. You hear something new. Uh, man, where to start? So can I just jump into something? Please. Yeah. Is, is that okay? Yeah, <laughs> Matt, you yeah. as the man. Go, go get it. So something that's always interested me are the brown mountain lights. Mm -hmm. And I just recently watched y'all's video. Yeah. And uh, I mean, DJ, there are professors of colleges studying these lights. They're well known, very historic, you know, a huge part of folklore. There's been movies, documentaries and everything based off these lights. I have never seen more impressive footage of these lights. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. I, yes. I think you guys might really have the best that's ever been recorded of those lights. Could you talk I, about that night? I think we do have the best footage. We did so much research on the Brown Mountain Lights over the years. I've been really fascinated with them. Um, like I said, I'm from Western North Carolina. I'm not from the Boone area. I'm from Haywood County. But I've always heard about the Brown Mountain Lights. And I grew up near the Blue Ridge Parkway. Um, but I've always heard about the Brown Mountain Lights and I lived there for so long and I never actually went out to try to see them. Um, it's in the Linville Gorge area of North Carolina and I never had gone out there to see them. And I was like, I've always been involved in this kind of stuff. I've always been interested in this. It's been such a large part of my life. And yet I have never gone and attempted to see these. So on a whim, we wanted to take a break, uh, cause normally we go out in the woods every week. Um, we needed to clear our heads because we were really focusing on a lot of occult stuff at the time, which can be kind of heavy. Um, yes. And we were dealing with some crazy stuff in North Georgia, and it was just getting a little heavy. So we wanted to take a vacation. And the way that we are, we can't stop working no matter what we do. So our idea of going on a vacation was going to um, Boone, North Carolina, and going to Daniel Winkler's shop. He's one of our favorite knife makers. Joe and I are big knife nuts. Um, so we went out there and the Brown Mountain Lights um, were, is, that's where the Brown Mountain Lights are, is outside of Boone. So we went to, we decided we were going to go out there. We didn't take all of our equipment. We just took a little bit of our equipment. We definitely took that Psyonix full color night vision. Thank goodness we packed that because if we didn't have the full color night vision camera, we wouldn't have gotten the footage that we actually got. But we went out there in the middle of the night. It was below freezing. We were so cold. It was insane. But we went out there in the middle of the night. We go down this long, unpaved, old, old road and going through the woods. And we're trying to figure out, okay, is it here? Where is it? And we finally get to the end. And that's where we could go to the overlook where we could check them out. We get out there and um, we just had a couple of cameras with us and my cell phone. And I noticed that I had a, I had a little bit of a signal on my phone. And so we decided screw it let's just live stream this thing um because our hellbenders and all of our fans and everything they love when we pop on and do live streams we do a show every monday so that's how we've built this this community here called oh, the hellbenders yes. so yes. we just on a whim like unannounced popped up on there and started doing this live stream at the overlook in below freezing temperatures filming the brown mountain lights and it everybody just went nuts like every, I know a ton of these people that are in the chat right now 
a lot of them uh, were there. Like they watched it live when it happened and I would hold my phone up to the camera. So, but the video I released on it is actually like an edited version of it. So it's a little more digestible, but it was at first we saw them down in the valley and that's what we expected to see was the lights down in the valley. Cause that's what most of the stories are about. And then it kind of took a turn and we started seeing what could be more closely described as UFO or UAP activity. They were floating up from the mountain, multiple of them, and then just shifting around and moving. And we got, well, it's over an hour, yeah. hour over <laughs> hour, it's several hours of footage that I kind of broke down wow. into a little um, concise video. But I honestly believe that it is probably the best footage of the Brown Mountain Lights ever recorded. What led so, up to that? that uh, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. So. No, it's just real quickly before we get too far away from it. So you saw them in the valley as you're mm -hmm. looking down on them. What would and just as a UAP, I'm calling myself a UAP guy, really, you know. Mm -hmm. But I, I love Bigfoot just as much. But but as as an analyst of of um, aerospace and aviation characteristics mm -hmm. and what what were their behaviors when you saw them in the base of the valley and were those different? than when they climbed up above you? In the, the base of the valley, they were stationary and they would move maybe just ever so often through there. Um, they're down in areas that don't have any paved roads. Um, mm -hmm. It didn't appear to be campfires, anything like that. So um, honestly, the ones in the valley were pretty underwhelming when we saw them, mm -hmm. yeah. but they were cool. And that's what most people report. Mm -hmm. um, sure. Ones that started to come out of the top of the mountain um, just looked like anomalous balls of light uh, they would move right. against the wind they would some at one point they line up three in a row and then just drift apart at that point and then they mm -hmm. would dip behind the mountain and then you'd never see them again and we would think the show was over and then two minutes later another batch would start coming slowly up um, you could see airplanes behind them in the distance mm -hmm. which you know had the flashing transponder lights on them mm -hmm. these just looked like just and just floating balls of plasma or something like yeah. that at this point. Um, and what's cool about it is, is that we'd been experiencing the, the stereotypical balls of light in the forest, you know, the spook lights, mm -hmm. the orbs, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. And the whole idea of the project was to try to take some of the stuff beyond campfire stories to try to like actually get documented evidence, maybe not everything, but you know, a little bit to kind of show that some of the stuff's actually taking place out there. So one of our like least favorite things are, you know, the people that go out and they're like, oh my God, do you see that? And then it's just not on camera at that point. So we had been seeing these lights for like years at this point. And we were constantly trying like different types of camera to be able to capture them. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I usually say is that sometimes it seems like we're chasing the phenomenon with tech because something will happen and we couldn't capture it. And then we come home and we kind of, you know, strategize and go, well, you know, if we'd had this, we probably would have gotten footage of it. So when we went out there that night, uh, it was kind of the culmination of, of just several years of trying to build camera equipment that could actually capture this stuff. So mm -hmm. we had standard night vision cameras. We had full color night vision. We had full spectrum cameras. Um, and then luckily, like Jesse mentioned, that psionics full night vision camera really just able to pick everything up that we saw. So we were really happy with the way the footage turned out. I love this because I'm getting ready to move to Georgia and I feel like I'm going to have access to North Georgia. So I will mm -hmm. be hitting you guys up to get some advice on where to go, what for to sure, look for. Yeah. I'm also going to make my way to North Carolina. Nathan's in Asheville. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Micah Hanks lives up there. And there's yeah. a guy who's pretty famous in the UFO community um, who's able to 
get downloads and so forth. His name, his name on Twitter is Exoacadamian. Yeah, we, yeah. we listen to his show. You know, you know him? Yeah. Okay, and he's, I think he's closer to Murphy now, but he was in Asheville. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I plan on coming up there and, and trying to get in the woods and have some experience. But I wanted to ask you guys, before I turn it back over to uh, my brilliant co-host here, um, what inspires you? Um, is it is it a feeling? Is it regarding, you know, chasing these phenomena? writ large all is it what is what inspires you both joe and jesse i think the everything that we've experienced up to this point um it's it's a matter of knowing now we know that all of this stuff is real we have video evidence of so many things that are and it's such a variety of phenomenon too it's not because we go out there looking for everything we're open to everything and somehow we have video evidence of all kinds of just crazy stuff um, just, I think the pursuit of that evidence is, I, it keeps me up at night. I am obsessed with getting this footage and getting the proof that these things are real and these things are out there. Um, but it's just this, this endless pursuit. And I don't think we'll ever have any answers. I don't think we'll ever have like a real solid grasp on what this is, what's causing this, what their motive, what the motivations of any of this are. I think that it's just, if I can just take a small glimpse behind the curtain, uh, that's all I want. And that's what I'm trying to do. Joe. And yeah, for me, it's for me, I started off, like I said, I was involved in Bigfoot research for years. And my original thing was, it's just a, it's an undiscovered monkey running around the woods. Do you know what I'm saying? I wasn't an alien guy. I wasn't into UFOs. I wasn't into the paranormal. Um, I had a degree in anthropology, so I so folklore. I was very familiar with folklore, but I just didn't really put any put any just real credence behind those stories at all. And then as we've done this, like Jesse said, that's a perfect phrase. You get a kind of a peek behind the curtain, and you're just like, "Holy crap! Some of the stuff's real." Um, and I think that that there's a lot of people that are that are involved in these sort of topics more so than ever. You know, a lot of people are into these. It's an enjoyable topic, but my thing is always just like, let's try to prove that there's actually something beyond these campfire stories. Um, UFOs, UAPs, they're kind of getting their moment in the sun right now. You know, they're starting to get some credibility that we even 10 years ago, nobody would have seen this coming. Um, and the, the government's finally come out and people are realizing there's weird stuff going on in the skies. Well, you know, there's weird stuff going on on the ground, too. And oceans as well. Exactly <laughs> and right. And, and, you know, that we're going to shy away from, man. We don't do lake monsters. We don't do... People are always like, you need to go investigate this leak, lake. And I'm going, nah, I'm staying on dry ground. I'm man. also an anti-Nessieite. Yeah, so. she does not like well, Nessie. So <laughs> I, I'm with you. But what if what if somebody, what if a naval person told you that they had an object cross their bow of mm-hmm. like a submarine at Mach underwater? What would you think of that? Oh, I believe entirely. I believe so I it. Believe but I tell so them that, best of luck to you. Yeah, you I'd know? be like best of luck looking into that because we're we're staying on dry land. But, yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, that's my thing is that there's there's equally weird stuff going on on the ground, and mm-hmm. you know what? People are always just like, "Well, how are you guys catching this stuff?" And I'm going, "There's nothing special about us. I mean, it's just that we're going out in a small group, just two people. Um, we're going out consistently, week after week after week. I mean, we go months without having anything weird happen at all. I mean. But other times we're able to be out there and when we do experience it, we're constantly fine tuning this equipment to be able to get this stuff. Um, 
like I said, I mean, we've, this is pretty much our life's work at this point. I mean, any mm. free time or free money we have um, goes into this stuff. So um, what, what's kind of cool about it is, is that, you know, you see these TV shows and they've got all the equipment. Well, we've actually got that stuff in real life now, man. And we're out there with just two of us. There's no producers or huge camera right. crews or anything like that. There's two of us, whatever we can fit in two backpacks, you know, 10 miles deep into the woods. And then we're just there for hours and hours and hours. And if nothing happens, guess what? We're out the next night trying the exact same thing again. Nothing happens. We're out the following week. So just kind of putting ourselves in these positions and then having the stuff to be able to record it. Um, for me, that's just, that's cool. I mean, I would love to, I always encourage more people to do this sort of stuff because it's not as dramatic as, a lot of the, you know, the stories you hear on podcasts, you know, some of the creepy pasta that kind of floats around, but it's real, man. It's real and it really takes place. And even if you're able to capture fleeting glimpses of it, it still shows that there's something to this phenomenon. There's some, there's some meat to it. So I, I love it. Um, you know, uh, Richard Nixon wrote a book called in the arena and mm -hmm. it speaks to what you guys, the reason that you guys are having these experiences is because you're putting yourself in the arena. You're okay. going yeah. out there you know, you're taking yourself away from your comfort zone, going into the forest with your equipment in the middle of the night with your intention and saying, you know, come show yourself. Let us, mm -hmm. let us interact with you. And yeah. so for anybody out there, if you want to be like, you know, Joe and Jesse, you got to get in the arena. Uh, I want to read a, uh, someone has a, has a, a narrative here and then I'm going to turn it over to Matt, but it's uh, this is from John Burbage. It says, I saw this enorm enormous orange fiery plasma moon in central Idaho when I was camping in my parents' yard for the summer. Missing time included and in all kinds of effery. <laughs> Try to keep it PG <laughs> up in here. Um, you know what, uh, John, those, uh, you know, the missing time aspect of it right there, um, it puts you in a, in a, in a, another category because I've, I've seen one UFO in my lifetime, but there was no missing time involved. No after effect. It wasn't close enough to us. It was just kind of a like, Oh wow. I think that's a UFO. But anyway, <laughs> uh, thank you for posting it. If someone has a comment or a question, uh, if you'd help us out, put it in caps, I'll star it and then get it up there when we get a break. And let me turn it over to uh, my brother, Matt. So speaking of creepy pastas, uh, and, and like weeding through the stories and the folklore to find the truth. Let's talk about LBL. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, Woo! Let's go there, man. You We're know, uh, years ago, there was a website called uh, Guardian Tells, where mm -hmm. a write-up by a woman named Jan Thompson was posted about mm -hmm. this horrific story of murder and uh, cover-up. Mm -hmm. uh, I was part of a group of people known as the Bigfoot Outlaws that kind of mm -hmm. made LBL famous and started talking about it. And now uh, here you guys are all these years later, uh, pretty well-known Martin Groves, another person, uh, well-known uh, dog man. Hey, Martin. Uh, <laughs> I guess that would be how you would label the beast of LBL. Mm -hmm. uh, what's your take on dog man and dog man phenomenon? Let me deep into this one here. Um if you had asked me before LBL, uh, I pretty much just associated Dogman with just, again, like that creepypasta kind of thing. Um, I was kind of becoming more open to other stuff just from the experiences we were having out in the field. My, you know, my, my acceptance of what could be possible was kind of expanding, but Dogman was still like a bridge too far, man. I just, it was just too much for me. 
Um, because again, with a lot of this, with a lot of these phenomena, they kind of come become defined by their most like public facing aspects. You know what I'm saying? And when you look into Dogman, there's a lot of sensational stuff out there. There's a lot of people spinning some very sensational stories with really nothing to back it up. And that's just kind of what it was known by, at least for me, at least. I just, I just didn't really take the subject seriously. Um, we started getting a, a re- series of reports from north of us in North Carolina, um, starting up in Blowing Rock, North Carolina, and then working its way southeast. We just started getting just person after person just getting in touch with us because we were known for doing this in the Southern Appalachians, just telling us about dogman encounters. Um, we went and met some of these people. They all seemed very sincere. Um, but at the same time, we were still kind of approaching it kind of tongue in cheek at that point. Um, we were, we were basically just kind of joking around with it, having fun with it, looking into it, but we weren't taking it that seriously, to be honest with you. Um, we decided to go ahead and, and take a week and to go to a field expedition in the LBL. And while we were there, I witnessed something on thermal that matches up with a lot of the witness descriptions of what the beast of LBL looks like. And it was, it was kind of a reality shaking moment for me where I had to kind of re-examine it. And we came back changed people. Um, we've done a lot of research into that 82 attack, um, Everything from going into the historical society there, checking old microfiches for old newspapers, looking at old aerial imagery, you know, kind of getting a feel for how that area changed from the time the TVA took it over. And then the TVA started to kind of relinquish control to it then and uh, to the Department of Agriculture. But it's it's if you ask me what the phenomenon is or what these things are, I don't know. I have no clue at all. Um, We were. In the northern portion of the peninsula, not that far from the where the massacre supposedly took place in 82. And we it had been a completely still night. There was there wasn't any like there was literally no sound at all. Oppressively hot. It was actually midsummer that night, or right before it, right? Mm-hmm. So it right sorry, before it. And um it just it's just hot as like you would not believe, man. And we're walking along and it had been quiet all night long when we start hearing something bust through the brush, like on the side of us. So our usual MO is when something like that happens is one of us will stay focused on that. And the other person starts checking our sides and our backs. Mm-hmm. So we had just gotten like a really good thermal imager. We kind of used the LBLs an excuse to get a new piece of equipment. We had gotten a really nice pulsar thermal imager and we had just been at the power line cut that's near where that massacre site is taking pictures of deer that were, you know, eating at the power line cut at night. So I'm scanning around and I scan from right to left and I go right past this big heat signature. I kind of zip back to it. I look at it and I'm like, what the hell am I looking at here? So I snap a photo of it. It moves a little bit. I snap another photo of it and then start to, I had my flashlight dangling from a lanyard on my wrist, kind of flip it up and kind of go. And there's just nothing there at that point. So even then I'm going, I'm not quite sure because I didn't associate that with the beast of LBL because I'm thinking it's like a werewolf type creature, something like that. The thing that I got on the thermal had these very oversized, exaggerated, pointy ears. Um, so much so that I'm going, what am I looking at? Am I looking at like a giant bat here? Like, what am I seeing? And it wasn't until we were, and at the time I just told Jesse, I said, hey, there's something out here. We need to move along. Um, and when we were able to view those video, like those images on a larger computer screen, I'm looking at it and I'm still not realizing what I'm seeing until we started to reach out to some of the people that had had experiences in the LBL. Martin Groves is one of them in the chat. 
And one of the defining features that at least some of those people saw were these oversized, like pointy ears. Um, we went back the next day when the sun came up to kind of check that area out. And I realized that what I'd been seeing was something about roughly about my height, you know, maybe a little taller. I'm six, three leaning out of a, a gully that was there kind of looking at us. You can see the arm, you can see the head, there's a snout. Uh, you get the reflection, you know, the impression of an eye. It blinks mm -hmm. in one. There's a little bit of movement between the two of them. And we've tried to debunk it. It's not a deer. It's not a bear. Um, it's it's not a feral hog. Uh, it's it's a giant bat. That's even weirder than Dogman <laughs> at this point. Um, it, it got so weird that I even looked around to go, were there any kangaroos that got, I'm thinking of like any animals that have long pointed ears. And I'm going, any zoos around here reporting a kangaroo that's gone? It's not a coyote. You know, the ears are too defined. It's too big. So it's an Anubis it, in the middle of the it, almost, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Almost. And it, but it was a really weird thing because we had to eat a lot of crow after that because we were busting jokes. Oh yeah. Up into the drive through up in there. We were, we were cracking jokes about it. Um, and it was just, we had to come out just going, all right, man, we were mocking this the entire time, but there's something there. So as far as like what it is, where it comes from, I don't know, but there's something there that at least that night that we saw, there's something giving off a ton of body heat. Um, it, it was alive. It moved, and it matches at least some of the witness descriptions. So, and we've how been far away is the car at this point? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, we're uh, we're Miles. we're a ways, man. We're we're a ways. I mean, not too not too terribly far because sometimes we're like ten miles from the vehicle, and uh -huh. then that's miles on an old gravel road to get back to a paved road. But here, the um, and Matt's been there. Matt knows Matt knows mm -hmm. the kind of layout of it. Um, we weren't. We weren't, but maybe what a mile and a half or about so. Yeah, half, so not yeah. too bad. But you have to realize at the time, I didn't immediately go, "Oh my God, I saw a, a dog man," you know. And I killed. I still yes. can't say that because I didn't see it with the naked eye. But you guys have used thermal imaging equipment before. This was mm -hmm. a, a really good pulsar. This was a several thousand dollar pulsar. It wasn't like I was using a, you know, an entry level like FLIR Scout or something like that. And it it moved it had body heat i mean as hot as those woods were after the longest day of summer this is given out significantly more body heat and it doesn't match any other like known accepted wildlife in there well, so the, the ears if you have something standing upright and it's got those dog-like you know doberman yeah. pincher cropped ears i mean there's mm -hmm. not a lot that fits in that category because you might have thought it was bigfoot were it not for that yeah and what's weird is and this is all just supposition yeah i can't mm -hmm put any like I can't say this is what happened but the impression that I have always had after thinking about it for a while is that we didn't have any visible light going at that point we didn't even have anything really with we had one infrared camera pointed in the opposite direction but we didn't have headlamps on flashlights we usually carry red flashlights to preserve our night vision mm -hmm. we didn't have any sure. of that going at all and the the thermal imager doesn't emit anything you know a night vision camera you're using standard infrared light, you know, it's emitting something. The thermal imager is passive. It just detects body heat. I don't sure. think that whatever this thing was knew that I could see it until I started fumbling with everything. And then I didn't know where it went to. It appears that it dropped down into this gully and either it scurried off, even though we didn't really hear anything, uh, or it was just crouched down there until we like left out. Uh, Cause yeah. I couldn't tell the gully was there from just the thermal imager. I could see where the, the little hill kind of like rounded off, but I didn't know what was behind that. So my idea was, is that it didn't know we could see it at first. And then once it realized it, it, it figured out, kind of, it kind of dipped, you know, and that was just because I was clumsily, I had too much stuff in my hands at that point, man. I got a thermal camera, I got the flashlight hanging 
And like I said, when I clipped it up and there's nothing there, that's when I'm like, all right, we need to move from the spot and kind of get to a, a more open area and kind of regroup, you know, so we can see around us a little bit better. So, and so, um, and this is a fascinating story. We got three things we've got to get to real quick. One of which is going to be an introduction. First of all, Martin Groves in there, uh, mm-hmm. sir, if you're here, I believe you're the former law enforcement officer, if I'm not mistaken. That's, and, that's him. He's yeah, that's him. Yep. Mm-hmm. Martin, I heard you interviewed, you recommended Joe and Jesse, and that's when I reached out to them. So thank you for doing that that's part of how i got them on the podcast so uh also dave smethers is here from the uk hello dave i don't know what you're doing up this late we will get to your question next uh but before i do that i got to introduce my co-conspirator in fun interesting welcoming and entertaining talk about the phenomena all the way around money nathan so say hello money nathan my brother hey guys uh speaking of phenomena it's uh it's my t technical phenomena happening uh, this evening so i had to troubleshoot that one deep into the menus uh so great to be here with y'all that's an amazing story i caught the tail end of it i, I mean what were you feeling when you were kind of experiencing that did it, it sounds like it was happening so quickly but what were your thoughts after it disappeared were you panicked or uh, i was a little concerned because it was sizable Mm-hmm. Um, again, what threw me off with those, those overly large ears. And I just didn't, you know, we had researched the LBL, but not to the degree that we did after this actual trip at that point. So, um, at that point, I just seen something large that looked like it was observing us partially from cover and then it disappeared. I didn't know where it was. So I was concerned, you know, but at the same token, I wasn't like running around screaming, going, I think I just saw a dog. Man. Um, so at that point, we literally just moved to high ground and I'm going, I got something really weird on this. I'm not sure what I got. And then, you know, we went back, we have got a laptop we carry with us. We checked it out. And then I was just going, all right, we've got to go back to that spot tomorrow and, and get eyes on that area in daylight. And once we saw the ravine and I realized I was only looking at it from like, you know, right below the chest up at that point, um, that's when it kind of started to dawn on me is that this was something upright, leaning over, just kind of like watching us at that. We do have this entire process um, in that first LBL series that we put on our channel. Um, I think it's two videos, but that's our first trip out to the LBL. We have all of this documented on those videos. Um, we've made how many trips to the LBL at this Four point? Four or five at this point. Four or five Sorry. at this point. And um, we just keep finding more and more stuff every time mm-hmm. we go out there. We keep expanding our search and trying to figure out what is going on out there. Another thing we were trying to do is get some on the ground information because you have so many stories about the LBL. And like you said before, the creepy pasta kind of going around and people have all of these preconceived notions and all of these ideas that they've gotten from the wild west of the internet mm-hmm. about what is going on at the LBL, what it looks like at the LBL, what's there, um, how it how it is how it is there, what the environment's like there. And it's just completely, most of it's completely wrong. Everybody has all of these notions about the LBL that they've just gotten from people on the internet who have never been there. Um, So we really wanted to go to the location, which is what we do. We go out into the Mm -hmm. woods, we go to the places and we look for ourselves. So that's what we've been doing over the past couple of years is going out there and just just beating the ground, you know, just hitting the ground, hitting the bricks and just Mm -hmm. walking through the woods and just driving all of the roads and just checking it all out for ourselves and really kind of shedding some truth and light onto what is at the LBL. Because Matt, no, I mean, Matt was one of the the first group that was out there. And Mm -hmm. Matt can say this, that for a while, it's, 
it it kind of entered into just like again that creepy pasta territory. Um, a lot of people were talking about it, but there were very few people that were kind of going out there. And all of a sudden, we're getting like bombarded with dogman reports, and that just seems crazy to me. So we decided, hey, let's go check out some of these dogman like hotspots at this point, just to kind of go see for ourselves at this point. Don't take you know, don't take just a story that we read on the internet. Let's go out there and let's just get on the ground ourselves. Um, we stopped going in the summertime after that because it's too damn <laughs> and the ticks are too bad. But what's cool is, is when you go in the wintertime, A, there's hardly anybody there. And B, the foliage is all dead. You can kind of really get a lay of the land. You can, you can move through the woods and just get off the trails and all that and kind of start going into some of the areas that are, you know, less often explored at that point and you kind of get a much better feeling for what it is but at this point now we've we've checked out the north pretty significantly we've been down to the area where martin groves attack took place um found some weird stuff down through there and uh, the lbl is just a weird place man it's a weird weird place and when we started researching before our second trip there we were what kind of shocked me was the amount of like comments that you would find about the lbl you know in unexpected places, not necessarily these cryptid Facebook groups or, you know, reports to the BFRO or anything like that, but just going into like maybe one of the local, like, you know, news centers down there, you know, newspapers or local TV things that would have like little reports on there. And, you know, they have fun with it just like everybody else does, you know, mm -hmm. around Halloween, they've got all the dogman stories and look at some of those like viewer, like, or reader comments at the bottom, people talking about experiences that they've had there. So, and you know, the LBL, it's, it's big, it's visited a lot and it's just like anywhere else out there, man. I mean, it's people will go and they go repeatedly, never have anything happen to them until that one day. I mean, Martin Groves had been going there for a while when he had his encounter at that point. He had some um, scary stories, man. <laughs> yeah. It's weird. In that area where Martin's Martin's, like, I don't even want to call it an encounter. Martin's attack took place. That's a weird spot, man. I mean, it's, 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 it's a weird area. It's, it's, it's very, very remote. Um, we were there on the ground that first night by ourselves. And, you know, it could have just been big coyotes, man. I don't know. But we just, we heard a lot of weird stuff down through there. Yeah. Man. And it was just instant as soon as the sun started going down. Yeah, it was wild. Yeah. Well, to, one thing I could recommend to differentiate between a Bigfoot and Dogman sighting, if you're having trouble, look for a flea collar. You know, if you're seeing that <laughs> exactly harsh flea right, collar, man. maybe you're like, okay, this I can't see the ears because it's obscure, but maybe that's dog, man. He's got a flea collar. And if it's not, well, maybe one it's of the, you know, one of the things that people have tried in the past is people have taken dog food out there and like hung <laughs> up like raw meat and everything. And it was cool because when we went back, we, uh, you know, one of the things we wanted to try to do is, and this is just, we just ballpark stuff, man. We throw stuff against the wall, see what sticks. Um, I got a hold of some of those like Sasquatch pheromone chips before that company went defunct that you used to occasionally see on TV. Well, I got a canister of those. And then what's neat is, is that like wolf trapping had kind of become, you know, that was an extinct hobby or pastime in America. Well, wolves are becoming resurgent nowadays in a lot of parts of the country. They're becoming a problem. So people are having to trap them again. So I found this family that I guess their dad was like the, he was like the Babe Ruth of like wolf trapping back in the day. And he had this proprietary like wolf lore scent that he had done that then when wolf trapping went away, he stopped making well, his like, I think it's like his grandkids now make it. So I got in touch with them and I ordered some wolf lore and it was crazy because it showed up first. It showed up in the post office is like, you guys have got something here. I don't know what it is. I don't know, want to know what it is, but it like reeks to high heaven. Yeah. The yeah. guy at the post office, he was, he was like, you guys, if 
you guys get something like this delivered again, let us know ahead of let time. Let us know ahead of time. So we get it, and it's like these three bottles with like handwritten labels on it, and they're like in a Walmart great value, like you know, uh, Ziploc bag at that point. But these dudes like have got this old blend. So when we went out there the last time, we were trying to bait areas with Sasquatch Fairmount chips, and then this Wolf Floor to see if this is something that's canine based. Dog. I mean, them. even if it's not going to appeal to it, you know, because these are. These are reproductive, you know, scents that you're using that even if it doesn't appeal to that, that reproductive urge, maybe if nothing else, it'll be a novel scent that a predator would smell and go, what's in my territory and go check out at that point. So um, I was going to ask Nathan to get like a bag of Beneful, you know, like a 25 pound. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let me get, uh, let me get you Dave Smethers questions because he probably needs to go to bed. Uh, He's six hours ahead of us. So okay. it's, uh, yeah, it's one forty-four in the morning there. Um, all right. So, uh, question, uh, like the hops, he wants to know, oh, he's asking if what you saw the ears were like the Hopkinsville goblins is, uh, the, what you saw, but it sounded more like Anubis, what you were describing. Yeah, it is. And there's, and there's a, in the, in the thermal image, which is in the, in that first LBL video that we've ever released. Um, we have the thermal image in that. We also have the thermal image again in the second video from the werewolf experiments series. You can see the image right mm-hmm. there that okay. it looks like it has a snout. So what is commonly described as the Hopkinsville goblins, more of a rounded head mm-hmm. with the ears kind of on the side, but this was, forward-facing, upright ears, and then this creature appeared to have a snout. Hmm. Obviously, the very rare uh, Kentucky North American forest donkey. (laughs) Without question. Without without question. They're rampant all over there. Um, His -hmm. second question for you, uh, is any evidence that you've seen of underground dwellings for uh, Bigfoot? No. No. No, there are, there are some caves in North Georgia, actually, though. There's a small cave system that we have found small footprints mm-hmm. around. And it's it's an area that figures pretty prominent in, like, the Cherokee little people mythology, or I guess you can't call it mythology. There's stories for it. Mm-hmm. And people have always gone, well, they're just juveniles, you know, juvenile Sasquatch. And I'm going, well, where are the adults at? It's all we're finding is small footprints there. It's like it's a, a Bigfoot Lost Boys type thing going on if there's no adults around. So... <laughs> And like I said, when we Jason dug Patrick, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but uh, we found those around caves, but we haven't gone into the caves to like follow them. We've just usually just kind of poked around the the front and left it at that. Mm-hmm. So, but nothing with Bigfoot underground stuff like ever. Yeah. So, yeah, I've heard uh, some stories about somebody getting close to a cave entrance, and they had some uh, sort of fire-sized logs launched at them. Uh, mm-hmm. from a distance that sort of would indicate keep away from that cave. Yeah. Um, so I can't, I just don't remember the state that that was in. So I, I don't want to make an attribution, but uh, let's pass it over to Matt. Oh, my turn again. Um, <laughs> what kind of, have you guys had some experiences with Bigfoot? Strangely enough, not that many. <laughs> um, we always talk about it that, that, we got into this looking for Bigfoot, but it's the stuff that we've gone across. And eventually we just kind of gave up. We just went wherever the activity would take us to. Um, we've experienced a lot of like weird lights in the woods, um, whatever we caught on thermal in the LBL there. Uh, we've seen some other stuff in the LBL. We 
had only, I always joked about it, that we'd had one area that we were pretty sure it was like Sasquatch activity taking place in. And one day that activity just cut off like a light switch was flipped. And and the process of kind of exploring that greater region a little bit more is when we stumbled across that spot in North Georgia that's just like a freak show of like weirdness. Um, recently, and it was weird because we were, we were kind of going, God, man, you know, we got into this to like look for Bigfoot. Um, we don't have any like active areas at all. Well, we started getting reports from people as they stumbled across our channel that are actually in our area in you know, the upstate of South Carolina. And we've, people have kind of hooked us up into about three spots at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we found a really good print. How many weeks ago? Within the past month. Yeah. Um, that was on an old, uh, the remnant of an old like logging or forestry road up through there that had just sunk down into the red clay when it was, when it was wet and just left a perfect print up there. So the areas that we're currently looking into um, seem like what we're dealing with up there might be Sasquatch at this point. Yeah. Um, it's the, just based on the prints that we've seen up there. And we've only been in those areas for the past month or so. So there's still a lot of work left to do in those areas. But if you'd asked me that two months ago, I would have gone, nah, not really, not much. But now it looks like we've actually, you know, been lucky enough to kind of get turned on to a few areas that might actually have activity. Finally, we're getting something kind of normal like Sasquatch. Yeah, like Sasquatch. (laughs) Are they trying to interact with you? Um, Do you, you you know, the first, the, what I was going to ask you is your intention getting out of the car, because obviously you pick an area. Are you going to an area to look for something or do you go to an area that seems really creepy and weird? And then whatever happens, happens. We usually look for, way we'll do it is, is that we don't, we don't really use like BFRO reports and stuff like that. We'll go into other outdoor related, like message boards and forums and stuff like that for hiking, fly fishermen, hunting, rock climbing, uh, rock climbing, geocaching. And every one of those boards or forums has that one thread in it. Have you ever experienced anything weird in the woods? You know? And oh, we, wow. Yeah. So we start looking for stuff like that. Cause if you go into a, there's some good stuff to be gleaned from like, you know, Facebook Bigfoot groups, but these are people who don't wake up every morning with Bigfoot on the brain yeah. that are outdoors a lot. So when they're, and it usually it's, it's weird. One person will start talking about it and then slowly that trickle will turn into a flood and more and more people start talking about it. At that point. So we will look for areas like that. And then we will look for areas in this region that kind of figure prominently in native American folklore. Um, that area that we had gone to, there were a lot of like rep- just stories that came out of there that the Native Americans had experienced stuff with like the little people. Um, and we went up in there and there was a bunch of weird stuff going up in that area. Um, but we basically look for stuff like that. We look for stuff that with folklore parallels to like modern day activity. And we, we try to stay away from like the LBO was like the really only the kind of like real well-known spot. That well, we've well, gone to. Yeah. That's kind of open and more accessible. A lot of the areas we go to are not necessarily accessible to the general public um easily so we'll go into forested areas that are way back there um and because it has to we have to look for a couple of things we have to look for a history of sightings um and that's the forums and everything find the environment that's going to support that kind of creature um, and kind of put all the layers together and kind of put it all together when we decide where we're going to go and go investigate I just want to ask Matt. I, I I think that's a brilliant approach. Matt, had you heard that approach before? Oh yeah. I mean, uh, one of the biggest stories of the 2000s was the Justin Smeha killing of a Bigfoot juvenile, mm-hmm. supposedly. Uh, you know, 
that's a, <laughs> a topic for a different show to deep dive into that one. But uh, he originally told his story on a uh, taxidermy website mm -hmm. and was found there by someone in the Bigfoot community. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, money, since you missed some of it, it's all yours, brother. Thanks, TJ. Uh, so there's a lot of uh, interest now in Skinwalker Ranch. I'm sure you guys are familiar with that location. Mm -hmm. And in the UFO community, uh, the sort of skeptics and debunkers like to latch on to some of the weird things that have been associated with that ranch, particularly the cryptid sightings at Skinwalker. Mm -hmm. So with your experience, uh, you know, what's your response to that? People who seemingly have this kind of, I don't know, difficult time pairing cryptid sightings with other paranormal experiences or UFO experiences. I think, I think that goes back to that whole, you know, the UFO landed and a Bigfoot got out and just how ridiculous that sounds at this point. Um, I can tell you that we've gone into areas looking for Bigfoot and, like I said, one spot before the areas we're into right now, but we've experienced other stuff. We've experienced anomalous lights, um, weird noises, battery drain, equipment interference, stuff like that. Um, I think that it's the, the physical stuff on the ground. It's, it's like I said, a bridge too far. It's one thing to stand in your backyard and look up in the sky and you see a few weird lights. And for most people, that's the experience they might have with UFOs or UAPs at this point. Um, it's a lot different to know that there might be physical things on the ground that are running around in the national parks, national forests, you know, um, it's, it's just different for people to comprehend and kind of accept at this point. Um, I keep thinking that maybe where we are with UAPs right now, 10 years from now, we might be with that with physical stuff on the ground. We hope so. Yeah. And it's, it's weird because we don't take it. We don't buy everything like hook, line and sinker just from hearing about it. Um, like we've never had a, a up close, like Bigfoot sighting, mm -hmm. you know, uh, we saw something actually on night vision a couple of weeks ago that was interesting, but it, um, it's inconclusive at this point. But when you start adding all that stuff up together, it, it matches up with what people were reporting at that point. Um, so I think that, that it's just that it's, it's a lot more difficult for the public to, to process at this point. Um, I think that, you know, it'd be great if we had like the equivalent of that New York Times story come out for physical stuff in the ground. And it would be the exact same sort of, you know, res uh, the exact same sort of like response to it that people would at first just kind of laugh at it. They'd be very resistant. And then slow, you'd see that needle like move at this point. If you look at books like Skinwalkers at the Pentagon, though, there are instances reported in that book of them seeing upright wolf-like creatures and then the this is where the hitchhiker effect kind of uh came from is that concept that these people who are they have security clearances they work for the government they're going back to their homes back in dc or virginia and then they're looking out their windows and seeing these upright wolf-like creatures mm -hmm. in their backyards um and then you have lou elizondo who has given several interviews where he has mentioned creatures that go bump in the night. And mm -hmm. that's beyond the UAPs. That is going into cryptid territory. And these people are credible enough to move the public needle on UAPs, which for years people thought were crazy. So. And they're just giving us small little yeah. glimpses of this whole cryptid phenomenon that's associated with the UAPs and these areas that are popular or famous with all these UAP sightings. But these people are credible enough for all of this UAP 
uh, disclosure, how are they not credible enough when it comes to the cryptid experiences they've had or they've they've been told about? There's something I bring up almost every week, and you already know what I'm going to say. Yeah. There's a uh, there was a British. Uh, paranormal researcher that coined the term the boggle threshold and that even people who are involved in kind of weirder stuff, everybody's got that threshold in their brain that they're willing to believe crazy stuff up to this level, but then yeah. past that their mind boggles. They just don't want to believe anything beyond that. So, uh, and you see that, you see that on all the different communities as well. You see paranormal people don't believe in Bigfoot, you know, Bigfoot yes. people think UFOs are silly. Um, everybody's got that boggle threshold that it's got to be broken down because the weirdest thing about all this UAP stuff is, and again, I wasn't a UFO person. I had to like do a lot of catching up, especially when we started experiencing oh, like sure. weird lights in the, the woods. We had to kind of just start getting caught up to speed really quickly. And it's been the evolution of, okay, these are physical alien, basically rocket ships for lack of a better term that are taken off from a, you know, an exoplanet traveling through space, entering our atmosphere, landing, and then, you know, physical beings are getting out. And now you're starting to see that people maybe like Jacques Vallée were maybe right all along and that there's some like, uh, you know, you guys, you mentioned you had Exo Academia on, you know, we listen to his show like every time it comes out. Um, just that it's the I, the whole phenomenon's a lot weirder than what maybe most people realized. And it's really going to kind of challenge our, our, our notions of what's real and what reality is. I think to a certain degree, so is the stuff on the ground. The stuff on the ground, I think, as if we're lucky enough to maybe start getting some more tangible information and evidence, it might be something completely different than what a lot of people have discussed all these years. And I know? think the fear of that is really going to keep it held back because it's one thing to think about a craft, you know, in the sky or coming out of the ocean and zipping across, across the sky. It's another thing to think that there is something like a Sasquatch or a Dogman who is right in the woods where your family goes camping, mm -hmm. you know, I yes. think that's kind of, that's a, that's way more shocking and harder to process than something zipping across the sky yeah. in the Pacific ocean. It's more well, real, me, and more frightening and harder to kind of digest at that point. Let, let me add a couple things. And one of them, I'm going to turn it over to Nathan for the sort of um, possibilities of how they enter into our reality and leave, which actually a lot of people believe aren't coming from, across the galaxy and into our atmosphere and landing and then leaving. So we'll get to that. But we actually have, first of all, you have found a show and people that we are open to all these ideas. Mm -hmm. we, we haven't closed our mind to any of these things because we just don't know. So we're just yeah. open to learn and listen and look at what's been reported. And anecdotes are still a form of evidence, even if they're not the most concrete. And then we're just opening our mind to how the, there can be, connections here that we don't need to close off say nope no connection doesn't exist it's it's yeah. totally separate like how would i know that so and secondly we have spoken with some people who have had abduction ufo abduction mm -hmm. experiences and i would say that that is equally as terrifying uh to some of these individuals as oh, yeah. having a class a with a bigfoot mm -hmm. and when sure. we talk to some of these people we have a friend from alabama where they came to into his home. Mm -hmm. So he actually goes on camera and asks his wife about that, and he put it up on Twitter today. Um, so can you imagine what that would feel like? Because when you, you don't have control, you're physically mm -hmm. not able to move because they've decided that they don't want you to move. Mm -hmm. You know, obviously you know about Travis Walton, uh, Terry Lovelace, the Air Force guy, mm -hmm. he and his 
His uh, fellow airmen were abducted from uh, Devil's Den near uh, Arkansas. So, uh, yeah, there are some very scary things out there. One of the reasons that the UFO is really hit is because there's a national security imperative Mm -hmm. when something's flying through what's supposed to be controlled airspace. I'm going to use some Mm -hmm. quotes there. Uh, Whereas Bigfoot is less of an existential threat and less like uh, Jesse said, you <laughs> you find out that they're overlooking your campsite and your wife yeah. is running to the mm-hmm. and saying, pack up now. Exactly. But anyway, Nathan, go ahead with um, uh, what, you know, some of the hypothesis you guys are talking about, about where these UAP are coming from. Yeah, well, I'm glad you mentioned EXO. Um, you know, he and I do a show together, so we're, we're, we're close. Um, and North Carolina. Yeah, exactly. Um uh, the, the way I think about this, I guess, is that we've done a very good job of uh, segregating our our modern life away from wilderness, right? Like mm-hmm. we, we're really good about kind of keeping wilderness in a box and, and, and keeping modernity in a separate box. And we're not uh, good at integrating the two of those things. And, you know, for, for both of you, it sounds to me as if like you, you know, you've, you've had those experiences where, where you can't live in both of those worlds separately anymore, that they really are kind of coming together. They are converging together. And, you know, what, what does that say to you? We, we kind of touched on this a little bit, but what does that say to you about the nature of reality itself? That the model of reality we have now really does seem in a way to kind of be inadequate. It doesn't take into account all of these things that are happening. Yeah. It's, it's the consensus reality that you kind of just, again, even for me, I I was fully, I was fully capable of, of believing that there was a large hairy primate or whatever out in the woods, but all the rest of this stuff just seemed like bunk to me at that point. And then just through personal experiences, meeting people, hearing firsthand encounters, um, you start to realize that maybe we don't have such a good grip on reality um, as much as we thought we did. Uh, I, it's Bernardo Castro, I think his name is, Exo Academian talks about him all the time. Um, you know, he talks about how the fact that we don't really interface with reality ourselves. We are interfacing with basically a dashboard showing us icons that are representing the reality around us. So if something exists outside of the realm of that dashboard and what it can project to us for all practical purpose, it doesn't exist to us, even though it exists at that point. Um, and you know, those weren't concepts that I really thought about a lot before getting involved in some of this stuff. Um, and it's just, it's the fact that we've just had to kind of take a step back and go, okay, we thought the world was weirder than most people are, are prepared to accept. Well, it's, it's even a lot more weirder than yeah. that. Um, and I think a lot of people, you know, because you have a little computer in your pocket that you have all of the knowledge in the world right there that you can access at any time. So I think that that leads to a level of, I guess, a hubris that we mm-hmm. know everything. We have access to everything. There's nothing else to learn. Um, but I think that that's removed us from reality. I think that having all of this access is just such an overload but then it's not even the full story and it distracts us from what's really going on. Hmm. Yeah. And Jesse, how do you think uh, you, you're kind of speaking to the complexity and the difficulty of integrating this information with our worldview. And I think about what just happened in Congress this week. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're sort of tiptoeing around this uh, revelatory uh, knowledge that, that we're not alone, but I think you both get this very clearly. It's so much more complex than that. And so, yeah. you know, what, what advice would you give for those that are going to 
have to go through those series of integrations because it is, and Joe, you kind of touched on this, like you start out at one level and then you begin kind of going through the layers to where you have a, a, a more fully complete picture. Mm -hmm. There's no way to uh, skip that process, right? You kind of have to go through no those to, stages. There's no way to skip it, but there's also something that you need to be prepared for is that even when you think it's over, it's never over <laughs> that it it's, it's like you're, you're on the roof of a building and you don't know how many, floors are underneath you and you're in an elevator and it keeps dropping and you don't know how many floors you're going to drop before you hit the ground. Um, scary. <laughs> you, but you just don't know how many floors are down there. You, you don't know how high you are and you're just going to keep hitting going through floors, but you don't know when you're going to hit the ground. Um, but I think it's just acceptance of just accept that you're jumping off <laughs> into the darkness, into the abyss and that just try to process it the best you can, uh, protect yourself physically, mentally, and spiritually the best you can. And I guess just hang on for the ride. I, love I that. think about be because you don't know do and you're not in control doesn't mm -hmm. equate to you're in danger. Right. Yeah. You know, we Although don't that's, know. That's a, tense, that's a tense thing to kind of be in, involved in. I mean, we've been out before where it just seems like something's toying with us. Um, and it just, you know, it leads you in like different directions. It's happened in the LBL before. We would follow like just these spook lights in the woods. And then all of a sudden we'd go, there's nothing here. Well, no, because now they're 100 yards over your shoulder in the opposite direction. At that point. And also, where are we? We're lost at this point. Yeah, exactly. We don't know where so, we are in the woods. You know, every, every bit of folklore out there from Europe to Native Americans tell you don't follow the balls of light into the woods. And there's a reason for that. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's what's kind of dawned on me. And I always draw parallels between this stuff with the UAP phenomenon, even if there's no connection between the two no direct connection there's a it's a good representation of 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 how the public views all of this stuff um one of the things that's kind of like dawned on me as we've kind of gone through all this like UOP, uap whistleblower stuff is that people will go these are the same old ufo tropes we've been hearing for decades you know as if that somehow minimizes the importance of it and i'm going yeah you're right these are the same old ufo tropes we've been hearing for decades when you get right down to it, they've done a piss poor job of maybe covering the information up. What they've done a really good job of is vilifying anybody who wants to seriously talk about it. At that yeah. point. And once you kind of realize that you start going, well, you know, all these, just like with us in the LBL, I was conditioned, you know, just to go Bigfoot, maybe, all right, maybe there's something going on with these lights and all that upright canine impossible at that point. Um, so what you kind of realize is, is that, you know, if you want to say there's a cover-up, which I think we can all agree that at least on the UAP side, there has been. A lot of that is just almost conditioning you to not step outside, you know, not go against the herd on this. You know, don't be that crazy person that's going to be on the cover of the National Enquirer talking about, you know, UFOs landing in your cornfield. I mean, it's exactly what the Soviet Union did with the populace, is it? It, it brainwashed everybody to self-censor and then to censor their neighbors that they government didn't even have to take a hand in it anymore yeah. that the populace was self-censoring and just pretty much punishing and controlling each other or themselves at that point, they could be completely hands off at that point. They didn't have to enforce it. Um, and I think to a much lesser degree, obviously we're not going to the gulag or repel Joe here or anything, but um, <clears throat> we're not going into the UAP gulags yet, but uh, <laughs> that'll know, be a couple weeks from now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Give that around September. Or so. yeah. yeah, the yeah. UAP gulags. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not to the same degree, but and especially with things like these Facebook groups and all of these people getting involved in this and getting so 
so uptight and kind of crazy about it that they're they're just very you know to the letter on a lot of things and they don't want to hear other opinions or um, experiences or anything like that so there's a lot of self-censorship and there's a whole lot of censoring each other even when two people both enjoy or say they enjoy the subject or interested in the subject they still want to just police each other about it so, so yeah realizing that that's a thing and then just kind of breaking out of that mindset just staying has been, away yeah from has that. been like real big yeah. for us so so we avoid we avoid interacting with people like that <laughs> yeah exactly so i'm i'm looking for the quote right now from shankar patrick nathan if you've got that quote um that about so as jesse said that a lot of the work is done by us to us but then mm -hmm. if you have that quote from Sean Kirkpatrick where he basically says, Arrow has not discovered. I have the article open and I still can't find that. Uh, is it right here? Um, yeah, um, I can't find the quote right now. But if you find it, Nathan, and you could just read it off. But paraphrasing, it basically says that Arrow has not discovered any evidence mm -hmm. of extraterrestrial off-world technology. Um, or other unexplainable phenomenon. And mm -hmm. so they used, they said the word arrow as opposed to the U.S. government has exactly. absolutely yeah, no Yeah, they just established so, arrow. Yeah. So. Right, right, exactly. So it is, that doesn't even encompass the organizations that preceded it under a different name. So they're also, you know, feeding that out there because it, it, it helps their narrative of we're mm -hmm. in control. And what the elected representatives are saying, okay, we're not exactly fully in control. Um, mm -hmm. Nobody is because there are technologies out there that we don't understand. And they asked David Fravor and Ryan Graves straight forward. And they said, do you think that under any circumstance you could have defended yourself mm -hmm. against these craft that you encountered? And both of them gave a one word answer, which was no. No. So, you know, and it's, what's weird is, is well, all of it's weird, but um, yeah. <laughs> watch it. All of, yeah, all of it's weird, but um it's the, the use of the, the term non-human intelligences and as opposed to like extraterrestrial. And I heard, you know, David Grosh's ex explanation that he just wants to keep the aperture open, you know, to keep his, his thinking as like free and as like, you know, open as possible when addressing the phenomenon. But that's been something that's really struck with me is that, that, you know, it's, it's an old like paranormal trope that all of this stuff is like interrelated or intertwined somehow. Um, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do know that we've gone into areas where we've experienced a multitude of different stuff. And I don't know whether it's like intertwined, if it's interconnected, if it's feeding off each other, maybe they're just separate phenomena that are attracted to one spot independently for different reasons. And they all just happen to be there. But hey, we've found Joe, yeah, Joe, the intelligence is actually is, is in saying, I don't know. Mm -hmm. The yeah. the, the non-intelligence is saying, I do know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, that's I mean, the problem is well, that there the, are famous Bigfoot researchers say there's no connection yeah. or I, it's a flat, you know, you don't know that. Yeah. that that's, I mean, that's the point. We, we saw that weird light that I've seen a couple people reference in the chat that we we're still kind of in a disagreement as to what we saw that night, but that's in an area where we have found footprints at small and, and medium sized, you know what I'm saying? But I, I've never quite sold that maybe there was Sasquatch in that area, but there was something going on there. And then we see that weird light open up that night. Which it I described kind of as a portal, I guess, because yeah. it was huge. And but. then you then you go another step further, and then we have people that are familiar with that area going, oh, you need to watch out. There's like occult activity up there. And I'm going, 
the hell are you talking Uh-oh. about? Occult activity. But guess what? We talked to several people that all witnessed this stuff. And then we start finding traces up there. And I'm going, now you've got a human element to it. Yeah. How does that factor into it? Are they there because they're drawn to this stuff? Is it just because it's a hidden away spot with it? You know, it's people that want to get up to no good are going to go to. And that's where this these other phenomena are kind of attracted to for whatever reason. But yeah, when you say intelligence is saying you don't know, I can't say we're intelligent, but we've got no earthly idea about what's going on. I don't think we're ever going to know what's going on. I don't, I do not think we're ever going to put it all together. I don't think we're ever going to have answers and that can be very discouraging. Oh yeah. It's very discouraging. It sounds melodramatic, but people will go, well, when do you think you'll find the answers? And I'm going, never. (laughs) if we could just figure out what questions to ask at this point, I'd be like ecstatic, you know? And and we're Um, closer. We're closer with the fact that they're going to ask for some transparency. Mm -hmm. We're in a place that I, I, told people i didn't think we'd be here in my lifetime and now we're here so you know there's a chance we could know more obviously we won't know it all and i'm gonna i'm gonna pass it to matt but um but one thing that um i want to point out and i think that maybe why david grush says non-human intelligence as opposed to extraterrestrials because we don't know if there is a human component to them either ancestrally or future or something like that and he says that they may be coming there's a theoretical framework to explain that they may be coming from a physical Mm -hmm. dimensional space Mm -hmm. that is co-located with our physical reality and they can come in and out of that which the whole ultra terrestrial like trope that you always every time i hear that i just i get chills every time i hear about this like (laughs) I just get chills because I'm like, we're they're on they're on Capitol Hill having this discussion. Yeah, um, I, I like I never I never thought this would come to this. This has been Me laughed neither. out, just been laughed out so many times, and now they're having these discussions. You're having Congress, uh, Congress people asking serious questions and sincere questions. There's no laughter. It's not another Phoenix Lights debacle you know where they march out an alien in handcuffs you've got a real hearing and i know that it's not everything that everybody wanted because we're still just kind of dipping our toes into this but i never thought we would see this and it gives me chills every time it's just wild it's absolutely wild the first person individuals who have seen felt touched and worked on these craft and or been in the presence of the Mm -hmm. non-human biological material are not going to appear in open session because the entire open session would be, I can't talk about that till we're in closed session. So that's why you have grush. Those will be when people who are read into TSSCI, they're in a skiff. And then from there, they said they're going to impanel a group that's going to have declassification authority. And then they can declassify snippets of that, that hopefully will at least satiate us that admitting that is there, but it's not going to be details. Hey, there's one in Des Moines. Uh, Mm -hmm. that's 70 feet underground anyway let me pass it over to matt before i babble any further you know there's actually some comparisons to be made here hang on just a second within the ufo community you have the roswell incident that's Mm -hmm. what i always go back to because i mean that to me is the central point for the ufo phenomenon in the united states i know that there's predating stuff and there's much more to it but roswell you know that's the big one in the bigfoot world you have the patterson film mm-hmm. patterson gimlin film as some people refer to it so you have that instance you also in the bigfoot world have instances of military personnel and government employees uh all across the board 
coming forward and saying, yeah, I saw Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. You have law enforcement saying that they've seen things. Uh, you know, judges, attorneys, doctors, uh, pastors, all across the board saying, hey, we've seen Bigfoot. You have stories, uh, and th that may be the problem, but you have stories of Bigfoot uh, trespassing on active military sites, military bases. So there's your national threat right there. They can come and go as they please on military bases without being detected until it's too late and there's nothing we can do about them. So really, you have all the pieces in place to push Bigfoot towards disclosure just as much as the UFO phenomenon mm -hmm. at this point. So why isn't it being done? Why is it still just, you know, Bigfoot's a silly joke? I think that you're going to maybe see some movement towards that. Um, you guys have read like Skinwalkers at the Pentagon and that, that guy that they called Axelrod that Jesse like kind of referenced earlier that went to the Skinwalker Ranch, had an experience, and then he and his wife and then eventually his neighbors started to see upright wolf creatures around their property. Um, wow. You know, he was the head of the UAP task force, Jay Stratton. So he's obviously a credible enough person to hold a decent position in government. Um, so he can be believed about UAPs, but then we just kind of, we kind of memory hole that story about the upright wolves at this point. And I think it's got to be done incrementally. I think that, yeah. and I think too, that it, it just think about 10 years ago, that people would always be like, they can't tell you about the truth about UFOs because society will just collapse around us. Well, that hasn't happened yet. I mean, people are hearing this stuff, but they still got to go up to get up, go to work tomorrow. They've still got to pay their mortgages. Um, you know, their kids still have soccer practice. You know, they're still dealing with inflation. It's interesting and it's earth shaking for a lot of people, but life goes on with that. And I don't think we're seeing that thing where I think maybe if full disclosure happens, and I don't know if we're going to get full disclosure, you know, Congress may, members of Congress might get it. What they share with us is kind of up in the air at this point. But um, I think that that given another few years and the idea that there are things in the woods that the government, you know, for whatever reason, didn't want to admit before, but we're going to come out and kind of say, okay, now, I think the other thing too is, is that there's some scapegoats being set up at this point, mm -hmm. you know, for the secrets with UAP, they kind of become self-fulfilling because nobody wants to kind of go, yeah, I'm the a-hole who's been lying to you guys for the past like 30 years at this point. Um, I, it wouldn't surprise me if there's some scapegoats being set up behind the scenes with the UAP topic. And it wouldn't surprise me if ultimately you didn't see some of that with like the Bigfoot topic as well, or by, to a lesser extent, the, the dogman phenomenon that goes on, um, you know, and it, it's just weird because, you know, you've got that, that hitchhiker effect that kind of like runs that thread that runs through all of these like common stories that, you know, people will experience Sasquatch, have Sasquatch encounters, and then the activity follows them home. Um, and, you know, you have that with UFO encounters. Uh, there's a book that I'm reading right now, you know, Poltergeists and Parallel Contagion, which talks about the hitchhiker effect with hauntings, with like spiritual activity. Um, and I think that, you know, you've got these common threads that go through it that eventually somebody's going to go, well, you know, you guys admitted that UFOs are real. Well, this has a lot of similarities to that. Is there any truth behind this at all? And then maybe that ball will start rolling as well. Yeah. What else are you not telling yeah, us? Yeah. What else are you not telling <laughs> us at this point? So, so right? just, just to throw something out there real quick touching on what you just said with the hitchhiker effect, you know, a long time I, I've been looking at that phenomenon, you know, we've seen it time and time again, especially in the paranormal community. That's, mm -hmm. you know, probably where it's the largest and well-known, but do you think that there's a possibility that 
it's not necessarily something following people home as much as it is once you have an experience that you can acknowledge you're tapping into that part of your brain and now that third eye is just open to these things and you're able to see them finally absolutely well you see you hear that with people who have multiple ufo encounters or bigfoot encounters when people are going well i've never had one how are you having so many it might not be the fact that they're just the chosen one or whatever reason, but maybe they've just gotten so open to it. I mean, you see this all the time with just those hardcore skeptics, you know, those people that are just going to shoot down anything strange, no matter what sort of leap of logic they have to take to do it. You know, I mean, they could come out and literally see a UFO land on their neighbor's lawn, somebody get out, walk around. And within five minutes, they're going to convince themselves that either they didn't see it, that it was a, you know, a party balloon that just happened to get there and they had something in their eye, you know. Even people who are interested in the subject or who claim to be interested in the subject and are passionate about the subject, they will they will just discount literally everything as fake and not real. You know, it, it's yeah. wild. Oh, I and do it all the time. <laughs> I do it all the time. <laughs> and Matt, well, though, I but just, you do have a sensitivity to ghosts, Matt. Like you're... Yeah. You're able to it, see things when other people are in the presence. I mean, that was like a, a, a huge reason, you know, why I kind of had that epiphany one day, you know, of always being the staunch flesh and blood guy whenever it came to mm-hmm. Bigfoot and never entertaining any other notion. And then I like stop and think like, dude, your entire life, you've been experiencing stuff that you will mm-hmm. never be able to prove to anybody and nobody has any reason to believe you. So yeah. why are you just closing that door to everybody else experiencing those type of things? Mm-hmm. And it's great that you can actually notice and realize that you're doing that and say, you know what? I've been an a-hole about this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, that's self-reflection, right? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. when you're able to do that, which, you know, I had a lot of, I, I, I hated the whole UAP subject for so long. And I was like, oh, this is just ridiculous. Even though I was really into ghosts and stuff like that. And I was like, what are you doing? I was like, you're don't, don't be an a-hole about this. That like it is all possible at this point. That you again, that boggle threshold. Yeah, boggle threshold. That you'll accept this, but not this. That's that's it's just do you have the ability to yeah. keep moving that needle on your own boggle threshold? Yeah, yeah. So Matt, I got a, an interesting tangent on the side of this as far as like hauntings, ghosts, spirituality, or whatever you want to look at it. Um, so we had gone up to the cemetery, which is next to the 82 massacre mm-hmm. site. Yeah. We had parked there during the daytime and we got out and we were just kind of looking around, you know, cause it's a fairly normal little cemetery. It's not that large, but you know, you'd see it in any small town right next to this area where supposedly, you know, this horrific attack happened. We're walking around and somebody had been basically using the cemetery as like a latrine. Okay. When we were there, Oh wow! there's like, you know, like on the sides of the tombstones and everything. So we took the water we had, we tried to clean it up as best we could. Okay. So we go into the woods at night and we go all around. We kind of go back to the vehicle, which is parked next to that cemetery and kind of like change out some equipment, you know, change out some batteries and everything. We start going down the gravel road that leads down to that, circular area next to where the bunkers are right Mm -hmm. so i look over my shoulder and i see this woman for just a split second now this is right around it sounds crazy right around midnight on midsummer's night okay i look over my shoulder and i'm not a ghost guy you know i'm saying i'm just i'm not i don't really find a lot of it interesting i think you know i just it's there's some validity to some of the accounts it's just not something that personally interested me very much but i look over my shoulder and i see this woman all in like really pale gray, just staring at me like she hates me, okay? Just this fury on her face. 
my first impression, and this just in a split second, this goes to my mind and I'm going, oh my God, she's like visiting like a loved one in the cemetery. She thinks we just, you know, we messed the cemetery up. She's thinking it's us. And while I'm looking at her and while that's going through my mind, she just vanishes like that. And she's just gone. And I look around and I'm trying to talk to Jesse about it because, and I'm going, that was not like a bug in my eye. That was not a trick of light. That was, and you know, as well as I do, the woman in white parallels that go along mm-hmm. with Sasquatch. You know, par- I wasn't prepared for that. I wasn't, I didn't go out that night expecting to see something like that. Um, I can still see her in my mind's eye. If I could draw, I could draw you a perfect photo of her. Just this enraged look. And I didn't immediately leap to paranormal. I'm thinking, and it, it didn't make sense that, you know, it's midnight, you know, in the middle of summer. Why would she be out? That's the first thing I think is that, oh, my God, she saw that crap. And the cemetery, we're the only people out here. She thinks we just, you know, desecrated her relative's grave or something. And then just gone like that. Just like while I didn't blink or anything. It's while I was staring straight on her processing this just gone like like just just gone there one second and gone the next so um i'd never had anything like that happen to me before during one of these like investigations i've never really had anything like that happen since then but literally right next to that cemetery that's that's right next to the massacre spot that's pretty interesting uh one of my good friends and colleagues for many years uh people know him as bear Mm -hmm. um he's not a ghost guy either He, Mm -hmm. he always said I don't go after nothing, Hoss, that I can't punch in the nose. And so <laughs> exactly. he, he left ghost stuff alone, man. Uh, but on an, uh, an outing in LBL, I wasn't there mm-hmm. at the time, but uh, they were in a convoy of vehicles, two or three different vehicles, and he was in the lead vehicle. And I believe he was driving and somebody was in the passenger seat or he was in the passenger seat. Anyway, they came to a T and mm-hmm. uh, they stopped. And he and another gentleman in the vehicle watched this guy kind of walk through the headlights in front of their vehicle and mm-hmm. was just walking down the road. And the only problem was he didn't have any legs. It was just <laughs> from the waist up. And they like both kind of craned their necks and looked down the road yeah. as he walked off and he just kind of dissipated into the air. And wow, they jumped crazy. out of the vehicles and, you know, looking around mm-hmm. like, did you see that? You know, yeah. uh, but that's interesting. Yeah, it, it, had, LBL, you know? it had a weird effect on me, man. I mean, she was filming um, and she's filming me and I'm just standing there trying to process it going, did I just imagine that? No, I didn't just imagine that. I just saw that, you know, I'm just, and then we're trying to continue on and I keep turning back around going, no, man, I need a second to process what just happened to me here because that was plain as day. You know what I'm saying? Just for yeah. a split second, Joe, plain as day, and then just gone. Joe, so. Joe, if I were in your car with my, my iPhone, I would have queued up that song from Shaggy. It wasn't me. And then you could have just sang to the spirit. It wasn't me. Exactly. You know what I mean? Just I exactly what you mean. Yeah. I don't Is know there a verse works. about not pooping in the cemetery? Yeah, exactly. So, yes. so um, no, it's just, it wasn't me. And that would have been so funny if we could have had the spirit there watching you dance and oh, sing that yeah. song from Shaggy. When they it wasn't on me. The tombstone? It wasn't <laughs> <Yeah>. me. <laughs> Anyway, I, I want to applaud you guys right now. I want to appeal to uh, Nathan and Matt because. I don't think we've ever had somebody on that's as well read on all these topics as you got. You guys are unbelievable talking about UAP, Bigfoot, and cryptids. So shout out to Joe yeah. and Jeff. Can I get put your hands together? Well, like I said, we appreciate it. But when I started out, I, I knew all the Bigfoot lore and she knew all the paranormal mm-hmm. stuff. But and then we just kind of, you know, in the, the South, especially in the, the Southern Appalachians, a lot of these stories kind of go hand in hand. You know, you've got a haunted holler where, you know, Bigfoot is seen and all that. But 
again, I mean, I knew the basics like Roswell and stuff like that, but we really didn't know any of this other stuff. And then it, it wasn't, we didn't learn all the stuff out of interest. It was just kind of like trying to react and process to the stuff that happened to us yeah. at that point. Um, we started experiencing what we thought was like the hitchhiker effect. You know, I'd never really given that much thought before, you know, I mean, uh, the woman in white thing, you know, I knew on a tangent kind of what that was. But then when I came back, I'm going, I've heard stories about this. Like, and I didn't know that it was like, so, you know, well distributed with some of the accounts that are out there where people have experienced stuff like that. So anything that we, we've kind of knowledge that we've gleaned, it's just been kind of trying to understand some of the stuff that we've experienced. Or... And it just, it seems like it's expanding wider and wider. And another thing about that, not just the supernatural, the paranormal, the UAP stuff, the Bigfoot stuff, all of that. On top of that, too, he and I go in the woods. Um, we're in the woods for a long time. And so I, I do survival training, do wilderness first aid. Um, all, I mean, it's just there's a lot to it. There's a lot of stuff to learn. Sure. And we're just, this pretty, yeah. yeah, this is pretty much our full time, what we do all the time. We're looking like, at some mysterious disappearances. Yeah. Uh, so we're going, we need to go get like formalized SAR training just so that way when we hear about a mysterious disappearance, we'll have a little bit of knowledge to go, all right, is this mysterious or is it not? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So let me ask that, you real quick. What do you think about the Bigfoot as a ghost hypothesis? Uh, if if we have human ghosts, could we have Bigfoot ghosts that Bigfoot people ghosts? see that have just come back to their environment and they're it's doing something that's inexplicable? I think I'm quitting. I'm done. <laughs> <laughs> Too much on it, but I, I I'm currently, and this might change Overload. like within a month or a year. But right now, I keep going back to that. I don't think there's any one entity source or anything like that for all of these like umbrellas that we have. Um, UAPs, I got a feeling it's, it's experimental military technology and then something from like somewhere else. Okay. Um, Sasquatch, especially you have people that have these encounters that when they describe it to you, it sounds just like you would expect just a biological animal that to sure. behave saying sure. I saw it, it was like eating berries. It ran into the brush when it realized I could see it. And then you have other people that have these stories that just go way beyond what you would expect, like a biological creature to to do or act like and so i always think that maybe there's more than one thing going on under the bigfoot umbrella and maybe that's what causes so many schisms in the community is you have one person going what i saw was just a big ape it was an ape and the other person's going man what i saw just like you know cloaked in front of my very eyes and it spoke to me in my head each person tells that story and they look at the other one and go you're lying because that's not what i yeah. experienced um, right. So to that, to your point there, that's something I've thought about in the past is that could there be what we would consider paranormal activity, spirits, ghosts or whatever, but it's just the either the way it's presenting itself or just maybe the root cause of it was something that looked like a Sasquatch. At this point. Well, it, it, um, let me put it to you this way. We all I mean, we all agree. There's no question. There's a flesh and blood Sasquatch. Enough oh, people yeah. have had a class A daytime first had him come up and hit the house. I mean, there's just mm -hmm. enough evidence that that there's there not to mention the Patterson Gimlin film that there's mm -hmm. no question that it is a biological creature. But when oh, yeah. that creature dies, is it possible that it comes back to that environment in which it mm -hmm. habitated and then possibly. maybe and and does something that wait a minute, how come I didn't hear it walk up to the tent? Mm -hmm. You know, that's yeah. not physics physics says it can't do that. Whereas a a, a Sasquatch that's alive can certainly mm -hmm. make a lot of noise walking through the forest, particularly when it wants to scare you, but even when it doesn't, when it's just pacing you out. 
But if it's a ghost, that would explain why maybe you're not hearing footsteps and you see half of it or something. You know what I mean? It talk explains some changing, of the lore. Talk about changing your boggle threshold. So you have to accept that, A, there's a Sasquatch. Now you got to accept that there's ghosts. Now you got to accept that there's Sasquatch, Sasquatch ghosts. ghosts. So, yeah. <laughs> right. I, but yeah. it's, it's possible. If we have ghosts, why can't people say that they have pets that have ghosts? Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So who knows? I mean, I'm just I'm open to the possibility. So anyway, uh, we got to start with cabby goodbyes, man. This has been you guys are like the A team, man. You guys can talk about UAP paranormal, and I still have there's still meat on the bone for a part two of this discussion with more cabbies, right, money? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, all right, so let's start with uh, money, Matt Knapp with uh, cabby goodbyes. Yeah, it was great talking to you guys. Obviously, I was aware of who you were a long time ago. We know a lot of the same people. We mm-hmm. hang out in the same areas, I guess. But uh, yeah, it's been really fun. Uh, really enjoyed the conversation. Lots of good thinking going on. And I uh, look forward to conversations with you guys in the future. Absolutely. We'd love Absolutely. that. Yeah, we'd love that. My other yeah. brother, the co-creator <laughs> of this joint. We got to have y'all back. Got to have y'all back. I mean, I, I'm going to go after the show. I'm going to go listen to the part that I missed. I'm so sad that I missed it. Uh, incredible stuff, what you guys are doing and, uh, you know, just shining some light on the strangeness that is happening out there. And I think you have a healthy appreciation for that, too. You're not just asking everybody to go do the same thing. I think you, you treat it very seriously and we should. Uh, so definitely look forward to having you back and hearing about what you're going to be up to next. I, I caught some of that Brown mountain lights video and it, it's some of the clearest Brown mountain light video I've ever seen. So great work there. And, thank uh, thank you. Good luck going forward. Um, please uh, take, I want to take this before I do my cabbie goodbye. I want to take the opportunity for you guys to pitch anything that you'd like to pitch. And I will put anything you give me will go in the show notes tonight Perfect. when I make up the show notes. So please go ahead and, Tell us what you want to pitch. I just want to, first of all, thank you guys for having us. Um, the, the, the cabbie nation for having us and welcome us like you guys did. Um, this has been such a wonderful conversation and I, what we like about your show, we've listened to your show. Um, what we like about your show is you guys ask real questions. It's not this generic overview of everything. It's real in-depth questions that have thought behind them. And we really appreciate that about your show. And you're all over the damn place. And like you're all we over are. the damn place. Like we'll we are. Do other things. And they're like, all right, we just want to talk about Bigfoot or no. we just want to talk about this. I, the fact that the conversation can just kind of lead wherever it needs to go. We to really appreciate really that. Really refreshing. So, um, so I'm going to go ahead with the whole pitch thing. Please. Uh, you can find all of our stuff um, on YouTube at Hellbent Holler. I am on Instagram at Hellbent Jesse. We do have an event coming up in October in Montgomery Bell State Park. That's an hour west of Nashville. That is the Tennessee Wild Man and Cryptid Con. Again, that's in Montgomery Bell State Park, October 14th and 15th. We're on the bill with the man himself, Ron Moorhead, as well as Scott Carpenter will be there. And our friend who is in the chat right now, Martin Groves, will also be there. Um, So if you guys are in that area, please make sure you come out and check that out on October 14th and 15th. And other than that, I think that's all the pitching I got. Yeah, just the YouTube channel where we upload all of the stuff we get it into. I'll pitch you some woo there. (laughs) I will will have it in the show notes tonight. And if you guys send me anything else, I'll also send you my number so I can get uh, be in contact with you guys if you see anything, hear anything, and then uh, also uh, to get some guidance from you for when I, I come up and start 
messing around in North Georgia and North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. Please do. Please do. Us. Yeah. We're, we're all over North Georgia, Western North Carolina. Like I said, I'm from Western North Carolina. I'm from Haywood County. Um, and then we are, we are actually in the dark corner of the upstate of South Carolina. So we're in and out of those areas. So feel free to contact us yeah, anytime. Yeah. That is awesome. So much. I admire you guys. I, we've never had anybody on the show that can speak, um, with the, grasp of all these i mean i don't have the grasp of, of all these topics that you guys have so um well you know really it's, well, the cool thing that came out with all this is that i always tell people that if, if we just like stopped it tomorrow there's just all the neat stuff that we like learned doing this man yeah. you know i mean i'm like big on like the study of like infrasound because you always hear infrasound and all that nobody knows anything about infrasound you know um and just the stuff that we've had to like educate ourselves on that even if we never find any definitive proof just the, the cool stuff that we've learned and gotten to do along the way is just rewarding up for it at this point. That's, I mean, that's half of it. And the other half of it, I like to say of having this show uh, is that we've made a lot of friends and, you know, we made mm -hmm. two new friends tonight that we can add to our group Absolutely. of friends. And that's, that's the redeeming thing about uh, being involved in, in uh, as, as Matt calls it, the unexplained, uh, any mm -hmm. aspect of it. So it's um, not the so destination. It's the ghost you hunted along the way. <laughs> <laughs> Which now could be a hairy ghost. I know that Jesse's going to be out there going, yo, man, are you are you one of flesh and blood or is you an ethereal one? Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, thank you so much. It, it was absolute honor. And on behalf of Joe and Jesse and uh, Nathan and uh, Matt, this is DJ saying peace out. One love. We'll see you down the road. And we're always wondering what's up around the bend.